Hey everyone, Chip Close here, host of the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. By now, you've heard I wrote a book. And if you're listening to this in real time, today is Thursday, October 5th. That book, The Restaurant Marketing Mindset, was released two days ago. It is now available anywhere. Run a quick Google search. You will find it on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, on tons of websites. If you live here in the United States, you can order from me directly. You can go first person. If you order it from me directly, you get a signed copy of the book. Visit the restaurantmarketingmindset.com. Order your book today and make sure not to go anywhere because today we're going to talk about people, specifically the people we employ. I want to talk about the kinds of people that work in restaurants because there's this thing I keep hearing. There's this thing in the air, this this saying, this, this, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know how to explain it. There's this thing that we keep uh, chirping about that I think is absolutely, totally false. We've forgotten something crucial about the people we employ, and I want to talk about it on today's episode, and I want to talk about what we're supposed to do about it, because I think we can do better, and I think you'll agree with me. I think you believe we can do better as well. All of that on today's episode of Restaurant Strategy. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable restaurant. Each week, I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build that more profitable and more sustainable restaurant. I also work with owners and operators all over the world through my P3 Mastermind program. This mastermind is uh, three different groups, over a hundred different owners and operators from all over the world spread across those three different groups. We meet two hours every single week on a Zoom call to pound through the common issues we faced in a systematic way. The P3 mastermind is specifically focused on profitability. So if you've got a busy restaurant, you know what you're doing, you're generating a lot of revenue, but fail to see a consistent number drop to the bottom line, I can show you how to fix it. We've been doing it now over, uh, I don't know, nearly 200 people have gone through the program and are in the program. The program works. The best way to get started to see if it'll work for you is to set up a free call with me or someone from my team. You do that by visiting restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. You'll get to learn more about the program. We'll get to learn more about you and the restaurant. We'll see if you and your restaurant are a good fit for that program. Again, absolutely free restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. And yes, that link is in the show notes. Now, are you frustrated managing your catering and private events with pen and paper or using outdated programs? Introducing Triple Seat, the catering sales and event management software built for hospitality professionals by hospitality professionals. With Triple Seat, you will increase revenue and efficiency, all while streamlining your operations. Let Triple Seat be your catering and event management assistant. Generate leads, create tailored BEOs, facilitate online discussions, obtain electronic signatures, process payments, and a whole lot more. Triple Seat has you covered. 
elevate and simplify your event management, take it to the next level with Triple Seat so you can focus on what truly matters, providing unforgettable experiences for your clients. For more information, visit TripleSeat.com slash Restaurant Strategy. That's TripleSeat.com slash Restaurant Strategy. And yes, that link is also in the show notes. Now, today's episode is going to be short. It's going to be uh, straight, direct, and to the point. I want to talk about the people we employ, the kind of people who work in restaurants. There's something going around. I said this in the opening, something in the water. I keep hearing this saying. I keep hearing this this feeling from, uh, from different restaurant owners that I talk to, and I think it's absolute bunk. I think it's false. What is this thing that I keep hearing? I keep hearing people say something to the effect of, Man, I just can't find good people. I can't find good people. I used to have such great people, and now I've just got crap. They're lazy, they're entitled, and they don't want to work, and on and on and on. And I want to be really clear. There's no magical pool of people that used to, uh, that used to be here. There's no magical pool of people who have now all disappeared. They have not all disappeared, right? They haven't. The bottom line, right, and, and, and there's the, another, another, another thing I keep hearing that's, that's related to this. People say, man, you know, I just want people who really care and really, really passionate about what we do. And I think that's also bunk. I think it's BS. There are two kinds of people that work in restaurants. Let's be really clear about this. On the one hand, yes, there are passionate, driven, educated people who, who want this, who want this for themselves and their lives, and they've pursued a career in service, a career in hospitality. They have gone to school. They have uh, educated themselves. They have worked up the ladder. They want to be in this industry. And to be clear, that's probably only about 15, maybe 20% of the people who actually work in restaurants. So then let's talk about the other half. Because the other half of people are the people that make what we do possible. And I want to be absolutely clear. They don't care about the industry. It is a means to an end. It is a paycheck. It is a way for, to pay for, for them to pay for college. It is a way for them to pay for their kids' college, a way for them to put food on the table. And you know what? There's a whole lot of people who do jobs that are really difficult, really hard, long hours, dirty work. And let's, let's make sure we're really clear. A whole lot of people didn't necessarily aspire to that. That is not what they wanted for their lives. They are doing what they have to do to provide for them and their families. So there is no magical pool of people that used to love what we do, that used to love washing dishes for 10, 12 hours a day. That pool of people never existed. What did happen over the course of the pandemic is that people figured out what else they could do with themselves, what else they could do with their lives, how else they might be able to make money. See, the best part of our industry is this low barrier of entry, right? It takes relatively little for you to be good at what we do. I can teach someone coming off, a, coming off the street how to wait tables. I can teach someone just coming off the street how to bus tables. I can teach someone coming off the street how to bartend. Maybe that's a technical skill that requires a little bit more training, but I can teach it. I can teach it. It's not like you need an architect's degree. It's not like you need an engineering degree. Let's be absolutely clear. My doctor had to go to years and years and years and years of schooling. 
the guys and, and, and gals who build our bridges are serious. What they had to learn is very serious. Learning about beer and wine and spirits and the food we serve, that's not all that serious. You can learn that. That's straight memorization. And maybe as we get deeper and deeper, you get a, a, a deeper understanding and appreciation for the products we serve. And to be absolutely clear, I love what we do. I love our industry. I think there's all kinds of sophistication and nuance. But no, you don't need an engineering degree to jump on the line. You don't need an engineering degree to wait tables. So again, there are two kinds of people in our industry. People who want it, love it, are driven, are passionate about it. And I think that only makes up conservatively about 20%, probably less. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, but it's probably only 15 to 20%. The other group of people, the majority of the people, this is a means to an end. It's a way to pay bills, right? It's a way to get themselves through college. Hey, guess what? That's what I did. It's a summer job. That's what plenty of people did. It's the teacher trying to make a little extra money on the weekend or trying to make some money on the uh, during the summer months while they're off from school. It's someone working a second job. It's someone in between jobs. They can't get another job. They're unemployed. They can go get a job in a restaurant. It's people that because of uh, language or, or a skill set, that's really all they can do. But they can do it really well. Let's be really clear, even though you don't need some fancy degree to do it, I think we do I think I think we do understand that to do it well does take some focus and attention. But anybody can learn to do it. There's no unique skill set. There's no unique skill set that can't be taught. Over the course of the pandemic, the majority of the people who work in restaurants when the restaurants were forced to close, they went and found other jobs. They went and found other jobs in other industries. So way back when, pre-pandemic, we would just um, struggle. We would, uh, we would fight for good staff members with the restaurant down the street. But now we're competing with CVS and Target and Walmart and the landscaping company. Man, the number of busboys that I know, that I worked with in 2017, 18, 19, that realized they could just do landscaping, basically work four months out of the year, five months out of the year, and make what they made all year long. And man, hard work, 100%. But they could make more in those couple of months than they made all year being a busser. That's real. There are people who used to be porters or dishwashers who made a very low hourly wage and realized they could make about the same and sometimes more working at Target, except they also had benefits and paid time off and maternity leave and a 401k and access to other things and growth opportunities to become a shift leader and a supervisor and a manager. There was a path forward. So let's be really clear about the kind of people who work in restaurants. This is a rant. This is a riff on this because I'm tired of hearing it. It was not unicorns and leprechauns and rainbows in 2019. It was really hard to find staff the second half of 2019. And we forget because the world fell apart in the beginning of 2020. But it was really hard to find people. It was really hard to keep people. That was already driving wages up. I watched it. 
I watched it. I looked over payroll every single week. So let's be really clear. There wasn't fairies, leprechauns, unicorns, and rainbows in 2019. It was hard then. What became harder over the course of the pandemic is people figured out how their skills translated into other areas, other jobs, other industries. And when you're dealing with big employers like Walmart or Target or Starbucks, it's hard for us to compete, especially when we don't offer things like PTO and health benefits and life insurance and 401ks and maternity and paternity leave. So just to be really clear, there's a whole lot of people who do the jobs in our restaurants who don't care about the restaurants. And let me make it personal. Let me, let me drive this down a little bit. When I started in this industry, I didn't care about it. It was a means to an end for me. So many of you know, uh, I wrote about this in my book. Uh, I went, got my undergraduate degree in theater. I was going to be an actor. I moved to New York City to be an actor. And I worked for a while. And restaurants became my job in between gigs. Because, hey, what do you do when you're an out-of-work actor? You get a job in restaurants. You get a job waiting tables. What happened is that the longer I spent in restaurants, the more I fell in love with it. The more I realized how good I was at it, the more I realized the value that I brought. And at a certain point, I looked back at my theater resume and said, okay, it's okay. But my restaurant resume is amazing. Look at the people I've worked with. Look at the concepts I've opened. Look at the accolades I have on there. Look at all I've accomplished. And then I had a decision to make. Which way do I want to move forward? And I made a very conscious, deliberate decision because by then I had fallen in love with the industry and I knew that I could make it better. But man, it was a really hard couple of years because every night I spent in a restaurant waiting tables was a reminder of my failure in other areas. I promise you, I am not unique in that. There are plenty of people who work in restaurants that wish they were doing something else. So to say, hey, they're not giving us their all, they're just, they're really unreliable, they're lazy, they dry at the drop of a hat, they go get another job, that's right, because they don't care where they work, they just know they have to make money to put food on the table. In the beginning, when I was working in restaurants, there were very specific, tangible reasons why I stayed at the restaurant that I first worked at. I didn't love it. The managers were disrespectful. The, I didn't get along with, with a bunch of the staff. It was huge. But you know what? The money was good. My schedule was good. So for an actor who needed to take class and needed to audition, I needed a set schedule. I needed the schedule to be what I wanted it to be so I could do my other things. It was literally a means to an end. It was a marriage of convenience. Only in time did it become more, and it became more because I worked with people who took me under their wing, who showed me other opportunities, who saw talent and maybe initiative in some kid who, who otherwise didn't really care about the industry. And it was because those doors opened that opportunities came my way. Now, we're going to continue this conversation in a more productive way because I want to talk about how we do with those people, those people who were just like me, and how we create better employees, because I promise you, we do not find them. We create them. All of that, the more productive end of this conversation, in just a minute after a word from another one of our sponsors. Now, 
Running a restaurant is already a tough job. You're busy keeping customers fed and employees paid while working with razor-thin profit margins. The last thing you should be worried about is if you're doing sales tax right. That's why you should consider automating sales tax for your restaurant point of sale system. Collecting and filing sales tax on your own can be stressful. It can be time consuming. It can leave your business vulnerable to accidentally missing tax payments or not having enough money in the bank to cover your tax obligations. Davo by Avalara simplifies sales tax for your restaurant and brings peace of mind through automation to help you pay the full amount you owe on time. Just integrate the Davo app with your existing POS like Clover, Toast, Spot On, or Square, and set up your business and banking information. Davo will take sales data from your POS system and determine how much sales tax you collected each day. Then it sends a request to your bank to have your sales tax put into a secure holding account. This keeps your sales tax separate from your revenue and helps reduce potential confusion about available funds. You'll get a daily email from Davo letting you know exactly how much sales tax was transferred. And when your sales tax is due, Davo automatically remits your sales tax to the appropriate authority on your behalf in full and on time. Is your restaurant in a state that does on-time filing discounts? If it is, then Davo will automatically send this refund back to your bank. Don't let sales tax spoil your business. Stay on top of sales tax with automation from Davo by Avalara so you can spend less time in the back office and more time in the front of house. Learn more at davosalestax.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, D-A-V-O salestax.com slash restaurant strategy and try Davo free for the first month. As always, that link is in the show notes. Now, today's episode is a little bit different. It's a bit of a rant. It's a riff on, on this conversation I keep having over and over and over again on uh, at all kinds of different trade shows, uh, on calls I have with restaurant owners. We have two different kinds of people who work in our restaurants. And yes, it is very easy to motivate the first kind because they want it. They need it. They are here, passionate, driven. They want to be a part of this industry and they're going to do it no matter what. Great. That's how you motivate those people. But 80%, I think, 80% of the people who work for us do not care. It is a means to an end. It is a job. It puts food on their table. It puts a roof over their family's head. For me, it was that for a couple of years when I first entered the workforce, when I first came to this industry, when I first came to New York City. And it changed slowly. It changed slowly because people gave me a chance, gave me an opportunity, opened doors for me, showed me things that maybe I hadn't realized before. Mostly, mostly it was about time and it was about priorities. It was about me. But I was very lucky to work with some great people who saw my potential, who saw the passion that I was already starting to cultivate for the industry. But to be really clear, for the first, I'll say, two or three years that I moved to the city, I had wanted nothing to do with restaurants. I always joked around. I said, I love restaurants. I want to go eat. I want to go eat in restaurants. I don't want to work in restaurants. And I felt that way for, again, a couple of years. It's hard. It's hard work. So let's look at our two different kinds of people. And let's use that to take stock of where we are at this very unique moment in history. A whole bunch of people don't care where they work as long as they can get the most money for the least amount of work. That's okay. You shouldn't blame them. 
You shouldn't. They want to make the most money they possibly can with the lowest amount of output, right? They want to, they want to stress themselves as little as possible. I do the same thing. You do the same thing. Everybody, right? I could certainly work harder in my life. I choose not to. So how can I make the most possible money for me and my family with the least possible work, right? That's why people want to be a bartender, not a bar bank, right? Because the bar back doesn't make as much as the bartender. The bar back is lugging, you know, spirits up and down from the basement upstairs. They're bringing, uh, you know, juices. They're bringing ice up and down, bringing dirty dishes back to the dish pit. That's a hard job. It's much better to stand there in the cool vest and just shake drinks and make conversation with the bar regulars. Still, it's a hard job to be a bartender, but I think anyone who's bartended would agree that bartending is a better job than barbacking. The work isn't as hard. It's not as strenuous. There's some cachet to it. And you make more money. So make no mistake, everybody gravitates toward the better job, the more money, with less work. There's a whole bunch of people that don't care about what we do. They're just, they're just trying to pay for things. They're just trying to support themselves and their families. And that requires that we take two different approaches for the people that we employ. Number one, for the way we find people. Number two, the way we deal with the people. I always talk about a training program, right, being uh, three tiers. That in the restaurant industry, we're really good at the first tier, right? So I call them level one, level two, and level three training. That first level, that tier one training, is the first seven days, right? How do you get someone trained? How do you give them, you know, <laughs> shot out of a cannon so that they get everything they need to know to be able to take a station by the end of the first week, right? And that's training in our industry, which is ludicrous, right? Especially when you look at the larger chains. Larger chains for like a manager, they'll train for like eight, nine, 10 weeks. I'm not even kidding. If you go into uh, Darden or, or some company like that, You'll train for literally eight, nine, 10 weeks. In our, you know, for the, from independents, most independents are just like, oh, shoot, the manager no-showed. We need a new manager. Go see if the senior server will, uh, wants to be a manager. And we promote them right then and there and they start the next day. There really isn't that much time to even train them. The bottom line is there are multiple levels of training. Number one is how do we teach them the, the table numbers, the phone number, the seat uh, position numbers, how to use the computer, menu descriptions, all of that they can learn in a week. But training doesn't stop there. Level two training suggests that how can you make this new person to be as good as your best person by the end of 90 days? That's a real question that needs to be answered, right? The best restaurants I ever worked for and the best restaurants I've ever worked with have an answer to that question. You can answer it a bunch of different ways. I've certainly done episodes on that in the past. So go back and find them, all about how to build a killer training program. I'm just telling you, you need to think about that. How do you get them ready to take a station by the end of the first week? How do you get them to be as good as your best person by the end of 90 days? Man, that will make you more money. That will limit the churn you have if you can put that kind of focus in developing those people. And then level three training says, how do you identify talent and develop talent to get them ready for the next step? How do you get a bar back ready to become a bartender? How do you get a, a busser to become a good runner, to become a good expo, or a busser to become a good server, a server to become a good manager? 
a host to become a maitre d, a floor manager to become a general manager, a general manager to become your director of operations or a regional manager. You always want to be thinking about growth, about promotion with, from within. And this is something really important. So let's talk now about this second kind of person. This second kind of person wants stability, security, wants a good paycheck. And I think, and I think if we, if we, if we did it right, if we showed them that there's a future for them here, that there's a path forward and got to know them better, just like some of my mentors got to know me better, they saw sort of my frustration with the theater industry toward my artistic career. They saw it not being as creative as I hoped it would be. And they pointed out how opening restaurants could be way more fulfilling, fulfilling in the same way that acting once was. And you know what it was? When I realized I could help influence the service style, the menu, the way that we engage with the guests, the little touches, the flourishes we did. And I spent a lot of time in fine dining. And so it is, uh, some of that creativity is, is really um, promoted there. But you can have creativity anywhere. So for me, not saying this is going to be for everyone, for me, that's what I needed. I needed to know that I could be creative, that there was an outlet for me. But man, that took a really sensitive boss, a really sensitive, aware mentor to recognize that and show me, give me an outlet. Show me how I could put that to good use. I think if we got to know our people better and understood how this job fit within their lives, if we took the time to get to know their lives a little bit better, and man, that can be a, a you know sit down you do with the staff once a year or twice a year, maybe even quarterly. I'm not talking about a half hour meeting. I'm talking about 10 minutes, just touching base. How are you? What do you do when you're not here? What are you looking for out of life? How can we help you get there? What are your priorities? Are your priorities changing? First company I worked for here in New York City, I worked for two and a half years. And then I went away, I opened two restaurants, and I came back like two years later and worked for them for two and a half more years. So five years in all for that very first company I ever worked for in New York City. And it was largely because they were serving me. I could get what I needed from them. And they gave me growth opportunities. And they took care of me, to be honest. They took care of me in really interesting and important ways. It wasn't the end-all, be-all. It was a it was a hard, it was a hard job. It wasn't ideal, it wasn't going to be long term, which is why ultimately I left again for better opportunities as I was growing and starting to work at, at better and better restaurants. But man, that place got me from hating it to then pursuing a career by the end of it. And that's really important to understand. I think we have to get to know our people better. I benefited from the fact that other people took an interest in me, cared to get to know me, showed me other opportunities that were available to me. So as we look at our people, there's the one type and the second type. People who are passionate, driven, they want to be here. And then there is everyone else. And man, if you just need to pay your bills, if you just need a schedule that works for you and to make the most possible money for the hours you're logging, then I don't think we can blame people for going elsewhere. So now again, to make this productive and constructive, 
Jim Collins wrote about this in his book, Good to Great, back in 2001. A great leader, a level five leader, he calls it, always looks in the mirror before they look out the window. Meaning, it's my responsibility. I blame me first before I look out to figure out who to blame. It's always my fault. At the end of the day, and I, and I talk to a lot of restaurant owners who say, I just can't find staff. I just can't find staff. And my question <laughs> as a coach goes something like this. What could you do to make it so that there'd be a line down the block? Usually the answer is, well, I mean, if I paid like 50 bucks an hour, I said, okay. So just so you know, there is a solution on the table. You do know that you could get the best people in town if you paid 50 bucks an hour. And they sort of roll their eyes and laugh at me. And of course, it's an exaggeration. It's a thought experiment. But let's not pretend that there's nothing we could do. There is something. We could be the best paying job or we could provide the most flexibility or we could offer all kinds of great perks. There are things we can do. What we're frustrated with is the limitations we have in our industry with our, our narrow profit margins. And so we can only pay so much. But at the end of the day, and I've gone on record saying this before, I think the consumer is going to have to pay more for dining out. And I think what's going to happen is that we're going to see a huge reaping of restaurants. I think, I think we're so saturated right now. When you look back 30 years, I mean, literally, right? We're coming 30 years. We're coming to the 30-year anniversary of the launch of Food Network. Especially here in the United States, you can see a direct line. It's like a hockey stick on a graph. Food culture has exploded at the same time, really, that Food Network came on board in 1993, 1994. It was huge, right? You can see it. And we got more restaurants and more restaurants and more restaurants and more restaurants. And we can't sustain that. There aren't that many people who want to dine out. <laughs> Certainly not on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday. What I think is going to happen is that we're going to see a bunch of closures over the next two years. Because food's getting more expensive, rent's getting more expensive, and labor is getting more expensive. All you have to do is look to California and see what's happening over there. Believe me, some version of that is coming for all 50 states. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, but over the next five or 10 years, that sort of thing is happening. We can have a whole conversation about the tip credit. We can have a whole conversation about minimum wage. We could talk about surcharges. All of these things that I think are going to be, there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a reaping. All of that, I say, not to scare you, but to prepare you. If you have to pay more to get the very best staff members or to get reliable staff members, then you're going to have to charge more because we have to be able to pass that along to the consumer. Which means that we have to justify this higher price because we have to convince people to come out. Instead of going to the supermarket and just cooking at home, we have to convince them to come out and dine with us. That we charge more, but it's worth more. Ultimately, I think we've got a whole bunch of mediocre restaurants out there. And if they tried, they'd be exceptional. And I'm talking about sub shops and sushi places and just, just no nothing, just basic, basic middle of the road restaurants. I'm not talking about fancy fine dining, top of the top of the shelf. I'm talking about a lot of the restaurants that people used to go to all the time 
and you're feeling it now. And I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're feeling it. The last eight weeks, there's been a huge pullback. And I think things are catching up. I think the prices we have to charge, now people are thinking twice about it. The way we combat that is by creating a better product and giving people reasons to come out and join us. So if you want to find good staff, reliable staff, passionate staff, give them something to be passionate about. Take care of them. Give them a better job than they can get anywhere else. Then, since you've got to pass along the costs, you've got to make sure that your experience is better than anything else out there. If you've got a sub shop, you've got to be a better option than any other sub shop out there. If you're running a pizza joint, it's got to be better than anything else out there, a more compelling alternative than anything else available. And what happens is we just keep doing things the way we've been doing things and thinking that's okay. We're not understanding why our sales keep going down or not bouncing back. The world has changed. Consumer behavior has changed. We're paying more for food. We're paying more for labor. Therefore, we're charging more for the products we serve. And it's not like everybody got a big raise. Nobody, not everybody got a big 30% raise over the last two years. Some people are just making the same they made two, three, four, five years ago. So their discretionary income doesn't go as far. If they're going to come out at all, we've got to convince them. If you're going to convince them to come out two, three nights a week more than they otherwise would, man, we've really got to convince them. So this whole problem of people and finding people is all wrapped up. It's all part of the same thing. And I talk a lot about profitability because I think it's one of the things that really bums me out about our industry. That we look at recipe cards and we go, oh, we got to hit a 30%. Well, I can't charge more even though this is at 31%, 32%. I want us to be charging whatever we can charge because the experiences we provide are that good. Ultimately, that's the conversation I want to have. I want you to leave with these two things. Number one, understand that there are two different kinds of people who work in our restaurants. People who are passionate, driven, ambitious, really want to be there. But that's only about 20% of our people. The rest of them, this is a means to an end. They're doing this while they're doing something else. They're doing this because they can't do something else right now. They're doing this as a second job. That's the first thing I want you to take away. And the second thing I want you to see is that there is something you could do to get great people and reliable people and keep people. But in order to do that, it's connected to the product we serve. Don't think they're separate. You've got to create a better product. You've got to make a more compelling argument for why people should join you. If you're going to get better people, you got to compensate them better. And therefore, you have to pass those costs on to the consumer. Those are the two things I want you to take away. Again, I want to remind you, the P3 Mastermind, we're always talking to operators and owners every single day, all week long. If you want to learn more about the program we run, you want to see if you're a good fit, it's absolutely no pressure. The call is free. Go to restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Grab some time on the calendar. I appreciate you being here, and I will see you next time.